mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to John. The Gospel according to John. We're going to begin... um, this letter this morning. We're going to begin in verse 1, chapter 1. John was one of the apostles. When you hear the the name John in the book, it's not John. It's John the Baptist. Although John does not call John the Baptist, John the Baptist in this gospel others do. So if you see the name John in the book of John, it's not referring to the author of John. I don't want to confuse you. I just want you to know that though, because John always says the one whom Jesus loves is who he is in this. He's always understanding that that God loved him so much. His attention was there and he took that title upon himself. At least I believe so as I read uh, the gospel of John. John, um, means the Lord is gracious, or Jehovah is a gracious giver. I believe John stands for the grace of God when you see it always. It stands for the grace of God that has appeared to all men, teaching us to live soberly and righteously in this present generation. Uh, In the Old Testament, we have a great relationship of Jonathan and David. Jonathan in the Hebrew, again, means Jehovah has given. Listen to me. That's the gospel message, that God has given us life. The grace of God has given us life. We're born dead. We're separated. And we need to understand that the gospel is about God giving himself to us and giving us life in that same uh, precious moment we can receive that life. So when we see that grace, uh, it should change our life. John writes uh, some 35 years after the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels. There, there's a lot of, of their uh, 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 testimony and um, historical information is all synonymous with uh, the time. They wrote 35 years before John writes, and about 90% of what John writes down is totally different than the other three Gospels. In fact, I think there's only eight parables or excuse me, only eight miracles, not parables, there are no parables in John. There's only eight miracles in John, uh, and only two of them 
are actually in the other one. Six of them are new that John brings about. And I, I like that a lot because, again, you're getting four testimonies. 35 years later, the same exact gospel, the same good news, the same exact cross, the same exact Jesus, but you're getting it, in, it with other testimony, with other facts, with things that were there. And so it's the same thing because God is the unchanging one. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're talking about it today, 2,000 years later. We should still be telling the same testimony, giving the same word. But what's the devil doing? He's attacking that word. He wants us to tell it differently. He wants to say, this is 2022. Let's do it differently. But it doesn't change. You take 66 books, the Word of God, 40 authors, from Genesis to Revelation, God does not change. It's all about His grace and mercy to have life with us. He gives us life, and He wants to have fellowship with us from the front to the end. It's the exact same, unchanging, unchanging. And we'll get to that in a minute because I'll get excited on you, and I'll go where I don't want to go yet. So let's look a little bit more. John is the only one that tells us why he is written. Of course, they're all writing to give the testimony and witness. Luke says uh, to put a more orderly account. But John actually says, and it's in chapter 20, uh, probably what I would call our uh, a key verse, 20, 30, and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah of God, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Now listen, that's very important because you're going to see the word believing, maybe, or a form of it, maybe a hundred times in this book. You don't see it in the other three Gospels, not even 50 times. You're going to see, we're going to be introduced to a lot of new words that, that like signs here, is, is a lot different than in other places. John brings out signs. Signs tells you more about something than what you would know. And I use this same one. You guys probably get really tired of it, but this is a painted wall. This just helps you understand it. But if I put a sign up here that says wet paint, now you know something more about that wall than what you knew before. So that's what a sign is when we see the word sign. John is going to introduce us to a, a, a lot of words like light and darkness, which light is always going to represent truth or good, and the darkness is going to represent impurity or unholiness or bad. It's going to represent evil, and it's going to, it's going to mean a lot more than what he's really saying. Every, you know, it always amazes me. People say, when they get saved, well, what book should they read? And everybody says, John. But John is one of the most deepest, profoundest books there is, although it's really simple, too. You can read it, and a child can understand it. But it's really, it's probably, it's probably one of the hardest ones. If you want to go deeper into it, you can see that the Holy Spirit really used John in writing some things to confirm uh, uh, what had already been written in the other three Gospels, but at the same time, to, to be profoundly spiritual about what was going on. And, and he's going to have the most about the Holy Spirit. 
You're not, you don't see this much about the Holy Spirit in the other Gospels. He's going to be about being led by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, you know, about what, what it takes. We get to John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He will send you another. Those things are not contained, really, in the other Gospels, you know. And so it's pretty amazing when you begin to look at this Gospel that's written some 35 years later, when John is older from Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, uh, he wrote this. They, they say he was there and um, was kind of leading the church and discipling people. I don't know. It's just what the historians say. And um, it's, it's amazing. It's the first book I ever taught when I got saved because of the same reason I just told you. Somebody said, what should you read? I said, well, that's what I'm going to teach then. The first book I ever taught. It took me over two years to get through it. Uh, and I was like, wow. Uh, so we might be here for a while. You might want to pray for the rapture. I would encourage you to do that anyway. Uh, pray for the rapture. Uh, again, there's, there's really no parables you don't see any of Jesus' childhood. You don't see him calling the 12 apostles. You don't see a lot of the same things. See, because John had a chance to read pretty much Matthew, Mark, and Luke probably before he wrote this. Probably before the, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this gospel. He had read the, other, the, the parchments of the other ones, and so he knew their content. So why write another one that matched it when you can write so many other things about what Jesus had done and give more testimony to further prove uh, uh, that he was the Messiah and so that you would believe again? You're going to see that. You're going to hear that. That's going to be one of the repetitive messages that you will get. You've already been getting it. It's the word pistio, which means to entrust your spiritual well-being into Christ. There's no other Messiah coming. There's no other Savior coming. So he wrote these things that they would believe and that they would have life in his name. And name is always his character, his nature, his will, his authority, life. Let's see. Um... What else do I want to tell you? John, he's the son of Zebedee. He was one of the, remember, sons of thunder, John and James. Now, it's interesting. I was looking at this. I go, oh, wow. Not only was Peter, James, and John the inner three with Jesus, they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, but then John is the last apostle alive, and James, his brother, the other half of the sons of thunder, very first one martyred of the apostles. Now, Stephen was the first martyr of the church, but, but it was James who was killed first, bound up in jail, and then killed uh, just before Peter was arrested, if you go into the book of Acts. So I thought it was interesting that they had this team of the sons of thunder, and one of them was the first to die, and the other one was the last, John... Um, the author of our book here. Let's see. Let's see. A couple more things, and then maybe we'll get into this. John presents uh, not only the humanity of Jesus, but his deity. He writes to prove that he was fully 100% God, fully 100% man. You know what? And, and you'll probably hear me say this several times. I hear it. 
I see it. I don't understand it. Some things we just can't understand. And when you're reading the Bible, you don't have to understand perfectly because God's ways are not our ways. You can just believe God. And most, most people that have given their life to Christ, they do just believe God. You don't have to go back and rehearse virgin birth. You don't have to go back and rehearse a lot of these things. They just believe God. It's kind of like starting a vehicle. You just get in it and you start it. You did not have to know or believe in the mechanic that created it or put it together or understand how it's put together. You just say, that car drives me to the other side of town. And you put the key in and you turn it on and you trust it to get across town. And you keep putting gas in it. And the same thing should happen with the person who's living for Jesus Christ. If you believe in him, pistio, and you have life in him, then you should be able to take the keys that he's given us, the power from the kingdom of God, and get in them and go out and tell other people about the gospel because of the spirit of God that is in you. And you should keep filling your tank full. You should always keep putting gas in a car. You should always keep getting into the word prayer and fellowship, drawing near to God. He draws near to you until you keep yourself full so you can gush out on others. We'll see that lesson when we get to the feeding of the thousands, the 4,000 to 5,000. What did they do? They would go hand it out to the others, but then they had to come back to Jesus to get more. They didn't have anything of themselves. They had to hand it out following the instructions, and then they go and get it from Jesus, and they come back and they give them more. If you're not coming to Jesus, you have nothing to give. If you're not sharing the gospel, maybe it's because you have nothing that you think you have to give. And maybe you need to get on your knees and get before God and say, what is it that I need to do here so that I can give myself away and be like you, Lord Jesus? Because that's what he did. He didn't come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, to give himself away so that you and I could have life and that more abundantly. So John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, that's verse 1, 1 through 5. Skip over to 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we give you praise, and we ask you to pour out your Spirit and um, introduce this book to us in a way that will change our lives forever. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm not going to cover and move into John, I think, today. John the Baptist. It's not called John the Baptist. A man of John, a witness. You and I will cover that in our next lesson. But what I want to cover is just the first five verses and then remind you that that word come to earth and took flesh. 
And it's very important that we understand what is going on, that, that, that God come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us. So in the beginning, so we're going to be talking about baseball, the beginning. It was a beginning, and no, I like baseball, so I like that joke, was the word. Now, what beginning? Because we have really... Beginning is going to be used like eight times in this book. If you were with us, we, we, we did first John 1, 1, and there was a beginning. If you go to Genesis 1, 1, there's a beginning. And then now here's another beginning. Now, I believe this beginning here is a beginning that is eternity past that we don't, we don't understand. We can't comprehend. We don't have any idea what this beginning is. Now, many people says it's Genesis 1-1, but I think it's referring to the, him being before Genesis 1-1. The beginning, God, the self-existing one. He's always been. He's the great I am. He's in time past. He's outside of time, and we're getting ready to see him come and step into time and be altogether like us so that we can be altogether like him. He's going to come down to where we're at so we can go live where he's at seated on the throne in heaven. And so I believe that's the beginning that we're talking about here. It's eternity past. It's outside of time. It's something that we can't even understand or comprehend. But then we have the beginning of God's creation. And I would encourage you so much to really go back and look at Genesis. And when we read through the scriptures every year, you get a chance to start out again with origins, the beginning of everything. Because when you look at the attack on the world today, and people are, are so confused about it, but it's really always an attack on the Word of God. There's really always an attack on the Word of God. I call it death culture. They're killing God. They're trying to kill God. And the, this beginning that we want to see is, is in Genesis 1-1, the beginning of creation. And I do want to look at it, Genesis 1-1, but I also want to hold my finger here and don't want to forget to tell you that there's also a beginning in John, 1 John 1-1, and that's the beginning of Jesus' physical ministry on earth. We can read about it in Matthew chapter Four. We will read about it here in a little bit when we talk about him appearing in the light shining. But right now I want you to look at in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You mean this word is God? Wow. See, God is triune, and we can't understand it. You can hold your finger at Genesis 1.1. We can't understand the Trinity. There's people that argue against the Trinity. But the very word in Genesis 1, Elohim, is a plural word. It could actually have an S on it. Although God is not plural gods, there's three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. L is God, L-O is dual God, Elohim is plural God. So you could literally in the Hebrew have an S on that word. But it doesn't mean that there's multiple gods. That's a falsehood. But you have three gods, one person, don't understand it, but I like it. They All three represent something different, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But you and I know personally that God is spirit. He's spirit. 
but he's making it where we can understand who he is and what he's doing and relate to it in life in a way that we can believe it and have life in his name. According to the name of Jesus, God is salvation. So there's a lot of horrible ways to try to define the Trinity, like an egg. You have a shell, you have the white, you have the yolk. It's all still the egg. Apple, you have the, the, the uh, apple pill, you have the apple and you have the core, all still God. You can do the same thing with water. It's, it, it, it can be water, it can be steam, it can be turned to ice, it's still water, it just, but the structure changes. None of those even make sense to me, really. I see the three in one, but they don't make sense to adequately explain God. And I believe that's part of the comprehension that verse 5 talks about. But we'll get to that. The light shined into darkness, and they could not comprehend him. We can't fully fathom God. We can't fully understand who God is. And, and, and without the Spirit, we can't at all. But even with the Spirit, we're still walking by faith. Even with the Spirit, we're still trusting God. That Since you died for me, I can trust you because you already gave everything. So now you're going to give me everything else for life and godliness. I can trust you because you laid your life down and died for me. When somebody dies for you, you can trust them because they have your best interest in mind. They're not living a selfish, selfish life, only saying, let me see if I can manipulate them into following me. See, that's what we do in the world. That's what we do in the church of the culturanity is we manipulate people into trying to follow us. We write books. We do all these programs, and we go, get involved in this good work that we're doing that God may not be calling us to do, but we may be just making it up to keep you busy so you feel like you're a part of this church. Listen, I don't want you to feel like you're a part of the church if the Holy Spirit hasn't baptized you into the body. It's called false conversion. If you have the Spirit of God, you're going to be a part of God. I don't have to make that happen. Although sometimes I do try to make that happen because we are men. And we make mistakes. And we try to, to okay, I'm the shepherd. I better get them to go do things. Listen, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not God's. But if you have the Spirit of God, you should desire to do the things of God and follow God. Doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly. And if you have not the Spirit, you should be crying out to be saved and get involved. Now listen, because this is really good stuff. We're going to be in Genesis 1.1. And we have our beginning of creation. Now listen, I don't have a huge brain. I'm not going to sit around and try to talk about the Big Bang Theory. I'm not going to try to talk about evolution. I'm not going to try to talk about them things. I, the book of John is for believers. The book of John is for people who already believe in Jesus. I do not have to argue a whole bunch of other cases. We believe in God, and we're looking at the evidence to further spur us on to do the work of God or the will of God for such a time as this. In the beginning, the beginning of what? God's creation. God created. What did he do? The heavens and the earth. See this? Created. Listen, because a lot of people go, well, we create. Well, that's only because we're designed in the image of God. But this right here is he created his ex nihilo. 
Bera ex nihilo. Bera, we get the word bear, out of nothing. God created out of nothing. Go do that. Go create something out of nothing. And then we'll call you a God. But only God can create bera ex nihilo out of nothing. He spoke it into existence, we'll see here. The earth was without form and void, and darkness, here's our darkness, was on the face of the deep. And then what happened? And the Spirit of God, we have the Spirit of God, He's hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And since there's power in His voice, in His word, there was light. Listen, listen to me because I want you to see the Trinity here. God created the Spirit hovering and then He spoke. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. As soon as He spoke, the Word went out. Psalms 107 verse 20, He sent His Word to heal the land. He delivered them from their darkness by sending His Word. See, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you see the heart of God who wants to have a relationship with people and loves us, so he speaks, and out of his heart goes life. He speaks, and his word goes out, just like when you see me. Out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth speaks. Sometimes I say some things that are bad. Sometimes I say the wrong thing. But you get the overflow of my heart. See, when something comes out, you hit the wrong nail with the hammer, and you go, bloop. That's because that's on top of your heart. But what was on the top of God's heart? Creation, love, light, life for you and I. And we see that he spoke. And he's a, he's a creator. He created life so that we could be with him. Now notice here that this was light. He spoke and said, let there be light. And we're going to see that Christ is the light of men. But his words mean something. Your words mean something. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So we see this beginning of creation. And if we were to continue, but we're not, we're not teaching Genesis, but we need to spend some time here at the beginning of creation, you're going to see that all things on this planet, everything you need to know has its origins. Its first, first usage comes from Genesis. When you start reading the rest of the Bible and you say, well, look at this, this means this and this and this, you better make sure that it meant that and that and this on its first usage. Listen to me, because sometimes we come up with nonsense in another book because we try to make something mean something that it didn't mean originally. Because God doesn't change. So if he, if, he, if he generated it, which is what beginning means, is the generation of things. If he started it, if he's the commencement, if he's the chief of it, then what he said is always going to be what he said. He doesn't chew his words twice. He doesn't change his mind. His word is always true. It will always be true. It will not change. 6,000 years ago, it was said, and it's still just as pertinent today as it was then. It still deals with the soul of mankind the same way it did then today. The word of God is what we need for life and godliness. That's why God sent his word incarnate. He came down himself 
and became men. And we're going to see in a minute in 114 that he pitched his tent among us. It's so important that we understand that this is not some made-up trivial thing. But this is the creator of the universe, the one who was self-existing and did not need us. He does not need us. There's nothing we can do to change him or help him. If he was hungry, he wouldn't ask us for a sandwich. If he needed a place to sleep, he wouldn't ask for us for a bed. There's absolutely nothing in the world you can do to make somebody who's perfect better or help them at all. Everything he's done is for you and I. Everything he's doing is for you and I. The word is for you and I to have life, that we might believe and have life in his name and have eternal fellowship with him. Because he is love. So when I speak, I'm sending out my word. My word represents me. It used to be a part of our culture. You didn't have to shake hands. You didn't have to sign a contract. Your word was your bond. Make your yes, yes, and your no, no. That's because we used to be godly people. And you would learn by the character of somebody, by the nature of somebody, by what they were after in their heart, whether you could trust them or not. Somebody might say, oh, be careful there. He's an old horse trader. You got to be careful then because their character that goes before them because their word hasn't been kept. But God sent his word. He spoke and created the worlds. He spoke and created light and darkness. He spoke and created human life. He spoke and put DNA in your body that became a language. That's insane. When you think about it in depth, that's insane to me. That God put language in your body and mankind is trying to kill it. People are trying to destroy that language to change who you are. Listen to me. In the beginning, I'm not going to go through all of it. If we went through it, we would see that, that, that God created and, and, and uh, uh, continued to create. And, and, and the points I want to make to you is he created them male and female. And we're going to see the animals, everything. was, But, but you go read it yourself. I, can, I don't have time to expound on all of Genesis. But we're going to see why death culture is trying to kill and call people they and call people they can be whatever sex they want. We've got 64 genders. See, God made them a specific gender. God made them a specific way. When God created them, he created them male and female. And male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.27 says that. Genesis 5.2 repeats it. Because about the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. Because your word should be your bond. What you say should be your bond. This is what I'm saying about God that I believe. And I'm here to testify. Even if you kill me, I'm going to keep testifying of the truth of the Word of God. Because I know I have life in Him and that more abundantly. And you can't kill me because I'll be with Him as soon as you try to take this physical body. But we need to stand up in this manner about the Word of God. It's that important because it's for the souls of people. So what does he do in Genesis? After he creates the heavens and the earth and he creates everything, he created man, male, then female. Then he created that institution of marriage. And then he created family. Listen to me. These are all very important because it's what the devil has attacked since Genesis 3 is the marriage, the family, the fatherhood. The very first attack of sin was against the father. 
This is Father's Day. The devil didn't go after Adam. He went after the woman, the weaker vessel. It's biblical. Woman comes from man, not from God. Woman came out of the side of man. She's not supposed to walk behind him. She's beside him, just like the church is the bride of Christ. But we have to get back to biblical perspective of what the Word of God says, or we never right the ship, and we keep running into these, these rocks that are underneath, these spots in our love feast that are lying to us. It is a patriarchal society because God made it that way. The, the husband is the head of the house. The father is to be the example. But how is he to be that? To die. To stop chasing his hobbies. To stop chasing his life. To stop spending everything on himself. If he's really a father, he will die. He will lay his life down for his bride. He will put everything else first just like Jesus did. That's the example. Dead to self. But what goes on in our societies? Fathers aren't doing that. Because they don't know the Word of God. They don't listen to the Word of God. They're not chasing the Word of God. They're not pursuing the Word of God. They're pursuing themselves. They're pursuing culturality. They're listening to lies. Listen to me. It's a paradigm shift. This is crazy. What do you mean, Greg? Listen. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word, that he might present her to himself a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such stain. That's the reward. Jesus died and he gets the reward of a bride. But when you don't die... You sow seeds of life that you want to hang on to. You sow seeds of your selfishness. It ends in divorce. It ends in death. It ends in death culture. It's always going to end in death. Oh, yeah, you might still be in the same house, but your relationship is dead. You might still go to church, but your relationship is dead with God because you're not trying to live a life for Him. You're trying to just show up and be pious. You're trying to show up and have a form of godliness which denies the power thereof. Without death, there is no reconciliation. That's the gospel. This is powerful stuff, guys, but we got to get the Word of God right. we got to get the Word of God right. This is not a game. This is not something you can build some other way. This is not something, well, I can just play around with it because another church says this and that church says this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If it doesn't line up with the Scriptures, it doesn't line up with God. And it's of no private interpretation. So everything that God is creating, He also allows free will for you to choose to follow the one who is destroying it, death culture. You have a free will to choose what you're going to do, but you cannot choose the results of what happens when you sow that seed. And be very careful. God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption, death. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap everlasting life.
So we have beginnings. I would love for you to read the first two or three chapters and see what God is creating, what he's doing. You get to to chapter 22, 22 chapters in before you ever see the word worship in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? 22 chapters in, you would think since we're worshiping in spirit and truth that that word would come up a whole lot quicker, but it doesn't come up until when? When Father Abraham takes his son Isaac to Mount Calvary and says, you guys stay here, me and the lad are going to go worship. It meant he was going to do the will of God. That's worship. I'm going to do what God told me to do. Well, what did God tell you to do, Abraham? To go kill the kid, sacrifice him. Hebrews tells us he was convinced in his heart that God was able to raise him up. But he was convinced in his heart that no matter what the results were, he was supposed to obey God and let the results fall where they were at because obeying God is the fruit we want. It's the life we want. It's what the Word of God teaches us. If I was right now, I'd have put worship like on the first page. But God's so much wiser. He waits 22 chapters. I mean, you got altars. They're building altars in places. They're digging wells. They're doing all kinds of other stuff, but no worship until we have this huge type of Christ on the cross carrying wood up a hill with the father Abraham there with him. Listen to me, because the father gave his son. This is the word of God. It is all there. It's contained. You have to have spiritual eyes to see it. The first act of worship was done by God as an example for you and I and what worship means. It means bowing down, proskuneo, to bow your will to God's will. That's the word of God. So what does the devil do? Death culture? Everything God says, he says, no, here's another way. Matthew 4. All these I'll give you, all these kingdoms of the earth, if you will bow down and worship me. The devil even tried to get Jesus to follow that. And what did he use? The word of God to fight it. He didn't say, wait a minute, I've been pumping iron and I think I can take you, Lucifer. But he looked at the truth of the word of God of Deuteronomy 8.2. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word that proceeds from the mouth of God is where we started in the beginning. The word that God speaks represents the heart that God has for you to have life and light and love. And for you to give it to others. And it's the only way it's going to happen when we put that word in us and he purifies us. And that light takes the darkness out of us. And it's a process that must go through. You cannot just say a prayer and say, I'm done. Stick a fork in him if you say that and believe that. Because you really are finished. You're finished with God when you believe that lie. You have to abide and continue in His Word. John 8, 31 and 32, we will get to it. Jesus said to those disciples 
who believed him. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? Darkness. Free from the lie. Free from death culture. Free from yourself. Free from everything that would deceive you and cause you to roam from the safety of God's word. 66 books by 40 authors. Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in right living before God, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped, prepared for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Hebrews 4, 12. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. It judges the thoughts and intents of your heart. It tells you what you're doing. It divides them and says, that's you, Greg. That's not me. And you have to say, I repent and walk away so that he can purify you. And if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and continue to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Same type of words, light, purity, holiness. They're all the same words. Darkness, unholiness, evil, sin. They're all the same thing. He does not change. He just wants to relate to us in different ways. He says the same thing over and over. He's speaking louder today than ever before to our hearts. Are we listening? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. But it's the Word of God that's always going to keep your compass right. It's this written Word that keeps you following the Spirit of God, whom the living, incarnate Word of God sent back to be your guide and your teacher and your leader. And you keep it in line by watching the character, the nature of God in the Scriptures. But if you're not ever learning this, then you're just out there plunging around in the water. You're just out there jabbing at stuff, playing culturanity. You're just out there feeling good about what you're doing right now, but I got no commitment to anything. I don't have to commit to nothing. I'm a, I'm a commitless person. I'm not going to commit to that woman. I'm not going to commit to that job. I'm not going to commit to those things. Listen to me. That's your heart. Commitment is what God calls for, no matter what. All of the, all of the apostles killed, martyred, because they committed to God, because they believed God, and they had life in his name, and they had his spirit, and they were not going to shut up. They were not going to back up. They weren't going to sit down. They were going to keep proclaiming light to souls, no matter what. The attack is on the Word of God. Why? Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace for you, truth for you, completely. He is the grace of God. He is the truth of God. John 14, 6 Thomas, have, you, have I been with you so long and you have not known me? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Not a truth, the truth. Truth is a person. The Word is a person. It's God with us. 
Emmanuel. And we got to get this. This is not some type of club. Oh, my goodness. John 17, 17, we'll get to it. I, I, my brain is like this. I'm sorry. Sanctify them with your truth. What's that mean? Shine your light in their heart and get that darkness out of there. Sanctify. Clean it up. Purify it. Sanctify them with your truth. And then what does he say? Your word is truth. So how do we become like Christ if we don't spend time with Christ? How do we become like Christ if we ignore the word of God? How do we become like Christ and know that we're saved and we're going to Christ? We're living in the family of God and doing the work of God if death culture is killing the word of God. If death culture just keeps retranslating it and watering it down to where you don't know what it means. In the beginning, in that big inning, in that game, <laughs> Jesus hit a grand slam. I like that analogy. I'm sorry, I'm a baseball guy. He hit a grand slam. But you know, when you hit a grand slam, the people on the bases still have to run the bases according to the rules. You still have to run according to the rules. In order for your run to count, you have to run according to the rules. Have you read the rule book? We're not living according to rules. We're not living according to law, but you got to read the book. Because if not, you could be deceived into being over here, running some other way that does nothing but hurt people. Find out what your lane is. Find out what your position is. Find out what your place is. Find out what your gift is. Find out what the Word of God would say to you. By spending time in the Word of God. The pages are alive if you let the Spirit teach you. It's living and powerful. Mm. Death culture. Let's attack the weakest vessel. We've got the, the father not doing what he's supposed to do. So we win the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. I'm looking. Oh, I got it right here. I've got this. I read it every year. It's Father's Day, so I'm going to read it again this year. 63% of all people who commit suicide come from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless people come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. How important is a father in the house? Listen, it's not just being there. It's being an example of laying down your life. It's being an example of, of respecting the woman as the weaker vessel, praying for her. It's being an example of doing the selfless, not the selfish. It's being an example of living in a way that, that trains them up in the way they're supposed to go. Because it, it ain't just boundaries. You better get in there and you better get your butt whipped and you better straighten up. It's training them because you want to win the war. You want them to choose Jesus when they're older. So sometimes it's okay to let them get away with something. You got to train the heart of a child. I wish I had it to do over. 
I would still mess up, but I think I would do better at this time in my life. Somebody has made the statement that time you get to the third child, you don't care what they wear. Listen, time you get to the third child, you're learning that you need to lighten up a little bit. You're learning that you're not doing anything but frustrating and exasperating them. And you're supposed to, to raise them up according to God's word, not according to what doesn't irritate you. Man, if God was to reach down and smack me on the head every time I irritated him, I'd have knots all over. I'd look like a porcupine or something. Because I, I know somebody's like, that's a really weird thing because I don't think God's irritated. It was an analogy. Work with me, people. Listen, fathers, even a bad father is better than no father in a house because it continues the pattern of life. See, because there's no perfect fathers except the Father in heaven who gave his son. There's no perfect fathers because there's no perfect people. We're being purified. We're surrendering. We're being honest. We're giving our lives away. We're laying them down. We're trying to train the next generation to fall in love with Jesus. But the truth is, is we've totally forgot about the next generation. We've totally decided we're going to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And today I'm going to be happy. And that's all that matters as long as I got my phone and I get my meal. And you better get away from me because I'm getting ready to explode. Listen to me, this is not fatherhood. This is death culture. So the homes are destroyed. And the devil's the one that wins. And at this case, nobody will get into heaven but for the grace of God. John, the messenger who brings that message. I grew up in a fatherless home. A few little stand-ins that came in, and they were fatherless themselves. They knew nothing themselves. And I ended up fitting every one of them statistics except for the suicide. High school dropout. My mom signed me out at 15. I was in juvenile detention six or seven times. I ended up in prison for 12 years when I was an adult. The only difference is the Word of God. The only difference is somebody shared Jesus into my darkness and God gave me the grace to believe it and to begin to follow it. I'm not going to talk a lot about myself, but I'm sure my kids thought I was crazy when I was running through the house, kicking closet doors in and going, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. This is my house. God gave me this house. These are my children. The Lord rebuke you by the blood of Jesus. You're not going to get this house back. They probably thought I was crazy when I'd take their CDs and break them. But I was given a call that was much higher than what they could understand. And that's what life is. Listen, I, I believe a bad dad in a home is better than no dad because it stays to the biblical creation of marriage and family. Which, which happens to be the first institution ever created. Again, worship, 22 chapters in. When, when, when did we get to the Levitical priests? When did we get to the, the congregation in the wilderness? Marriage was the first institution. Family was the second. Of course, after the relationship with God, walking in the garden. 
But we're putting everything else way out here more important. I go to church on Sunday. What are you doing at home? What are you doing with the Word of God? I could sit down and listen to this sermon, okay? I just happen to be the one called to give it. Listen, 100% of people, 100% of people go to hell are fatherless because they didn't receive the love of the Father. And they followed some liar, the devil. When the blood of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit are there openly for us, they choose to say no to the Father. Father who would give his only son. In the beginning. I mean, I I don't know about you guys, I don't comprehend it. This 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 amazing perfect God in, in heaven with angels, everything going on, and, 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 and he comes down to create us, to have life. To make a, a, a man in a lower image that is also a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. To have fellowship with him and so he could bask his love upon somebody. But he knew what we were going to choose. He knew what we were going to do. What, I mean, listen, I'm just telling you. With me, again, as a man, I would go, but I know what they're going to do. So I'm just going to stay here with my feet propped up. Why do I want to go through all that? It's amazing to me. It's amazing love. It's amazing grace. It's, uh, it's, it's not understandable. But if you will abide in it, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man abide in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Listen, that's the same thing again. We're going to get to it in, J- in John chapter 15. What an amazing gospel this is. But salvation is you being the branch abiding in him and then when he abides in you that's sanctification that's purification that's his light shining through you it's pretty amazing to me anyway where are we at in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god revelation 19 13 he has oh let's just read it revelation 19 13 who thought he could get through this much material in one day 1913, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, purified, sanctified, prepared for every good work, followed because they heard his voice on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, it's a two-edged sword, cuts away the bad and gets rid of the darkness and adds to and builds up and sanctifies and purifies that he should strike the nations. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You want to fight? The battle's over. The battle's over. I was talking to some other people. Maybe it was you. I don't know. Somebody about this rebellious heart that we have. The battle's over with. 
We're at peace with God through the blood of Jesus. There is no battle anymore. We're standing in the victory of the cross, taking the sword of the Spirit and handing it out. We're just going out with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We're allowing it to do its work. We just share the Word of God. That's why the attack is on the Word of God. When you share the Word of God, you can go out and talk with people all day long about football. Now, they might get mad and say, no, 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 I don't think Peyton's the goat. Come on. And they might get mad. But when you start talking about Jesus being the only way to get to heaven, the name above all names, they get mad. They're going to try to kill you. They're going to get mad at you. They don't want to talk to you. Oh, it's going to get worse. That's what death culture is. But going out and being nice to people and talking to them about football does not get them into heaven. It does not save their soul. It does nothing but confirm where they're at and leave them where they're at. We have to go out and strike the conscience of people with the word of God. That's why God assigned us to be preachers and teachers, to be witnesses and give testimony. That's why he called us out and he uses the word martyr, martus, for a witness because he knows that he sends us out as sheep among wolves. He knows that they might kill us, but he knows the moment you're going to die. He knows what's going on and that builds faith to trust him. One, trust him that you know that he sent you there. I've heard some of the terrible stories where people go just because they have a good idea and they end up dead on the mission field. But when God sends you there, amazing things happen because you're in the power of God with the Word of God in the middle of the will of God. And then He can do what He's called you to do for His glory. So, in the beginning was the Word. Have I beat up Word long enough? Logos comes from the word Lego, to lay a discourse out. It's His heart. You know, when you're putting those Lego pieces together, that's where that comes from. This is Logos. Logos, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know Greek real well. My wife eats Greek yogurt. Ha, 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 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Why? It was in His mouth. God's a spirit. And when He spoke it, creation happened. And the word was God because it was his heart. It was his grace. It was his truth that came down to be with us. He was in the beginning with God. All, get a calculator, we're going to need it soon. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Guess what we're talking about there? Three times made in the same sentence. I bet we're talking about creation, about something being made. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. Made because God spoke the word. Oh, I did leave one out. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The living incarnate word. I'm sorry, I looked down at my paper and there it was. I said, we got to get that one out. Made, were made through or by him. King James is by him. All things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. 
without him, separate from or apart from him. There's nothing that's made in creation. So you can't make it up unless you leave God out. That's what the world does. That's what our world does is make up their earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. They leave God out and they say, this is what it is. So they leave God's origins, God's creations, God's generating power made to cause to be generated, to become fulfilled or wrought. Like wrought iron, you wrought something out of something. Trying to decide where to go. There's so many places you can see this. Let's look at Hebrews 1.1. Hebrews Notice that, men, fathers, Hebrews, make coffee. Don't be telling your wife to get up and make coffee. Hebrews, terrible joke. We had a, we had a Jewish guy in our Bible study. He said it's actually pronounced Shebrews in the, in the actual uh, language. I, I don't know. So my wife gets up and makes the coffee now. I'm teasing. We have one of them automatic pots. Who cares? God, who at various times in various manners, divers is what it is in the King James, spoke. What is spoke? It's his word. Listen to me. Always his word. It's always his voice. It's always about his voice. It's always about what did God say? What does his word say? And, and you know, when you see the word, it, it's not just his voice, but it's the intent of what he was saying. The thoughts and intents of your heart. It's what he was trying to convey through his words. So when you go, well, did God really say that? Listen, what was he trying to convey? What was the principle? I'm not under law, but there's a principle there of civilness. There's a principle there of love and care. So it's what he was principally trying to get you to understand. And then, of course, we were talking earlier in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Word of God. You can't come to faith without the Word of God speaking to you and telling you that Jesus is Lord and God raised Him from the dead. Uh, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, uh, divers times, divers manners, He spoke. Are you listening? He's still speaking. In times past to the fathers, really, fathers, the paters, the patriarchs, to those that He allowed to be leaders, the head of their tribes, the chiefs, by the prophets. Those who would foretell that they would hear the voice of God and go, and they trusted them in that system that what they said was going to be true. You know why they trusted them? Because if they said anything that didn't come to pass, you know what was on them? A death sentence. If a prophet came and said anything, listen, you just go read the Word of God. If he said anything that wasn't true, you didn't go, man, you missed that one, dude. No, they'd take you out and kill you because you pretended to be a prophet for God and was representing God and nothing about what you said was true. And if that prophet came and he tried to entice you to go away and follow false gods or to do something that was outside the will of God, they would also take them away and kill them. That's where death culture is supposed to be, getting rid of the things that kill us and keep our souls in hell. But we're doing it upside down. We're doing it upside down, as Isaiah said. Good is evil, and evil is good. Look at it. Let's get rid of the police. Let's attack everything that's made the system work. 
Let's attack those who are, are, are doing good, and let's divide everybody with a bunch of chaos. It's a really simple plan that the devil's had since the beginning of time. Let's divide mom and dad. Before they even have children, let's, let's separate the marriage, and let's make the woman be the boss and the man be the, the tail. I mean, it's a simple plan. Because it's always death if you don't do it according to God's word. Always death. Always death. You can't have anything else because it's a natural law of sowing and reaping. And it hurts us. It hurts us because you know what? People are supposed to be passing the word of God. And we come up and we're growing up in the culture and we go, that's not what they're telling me. And so we have 50 years of learning a lie. And it's really hard to turn and go the other way. Unless, of course, you truly believe in Jesus. If you truly believe that this is the Word of God and that you have the Spirit of God, then whatever the Word of God says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. If you love me, keep my commandment. And it doesn't matter what the world says anymore. You're going to follow God. Even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. He's spoken. He spoke. The word is spoken. There's nothing new for him to say. If it's new, it's not from God. If it's from God, it's not new. He's already spoken everything. This is his character, his nature, his will, his word, his plan of salvation. Everything about redemption is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross, tetelestai. It is finished, paid in full. It's done. But in past times, he spoke, has in these last days, that's what we're living in. Every day since Jesus ascended is the last days, last period of time, spoken to us by his son, his only begotten son, his original unique one, whom he has appointed heir of all things. And he allowed us to become joint heirs with him when you come to salvation. Through whom also he made, there's that word again, he generated, he created. He made the worlds. What? There's worlds? Are you serious? Don't run off with no alien stuff, people. You're the only alien here. Pilgrim. Worlds is spiritual world and the physical world. Listen, it's not, there's a whole bunch of worlds. Be careful with science. Science is wrong when it leaves God out. When it tries to take you down a path to get you to believe a narrative that has nothing to do with what the Word of God says, and all it's trying to do is take you into a dark alley where there's no light and keep you there and keep you dead. They don't want you to think. They don't want you to be critical. They don't want you to read. They don't want you to know what the Word says. All they want you to do is say, just listen. What are you, racist or something? Listen. Listen to me. Listen to God's Word. And don't be afraid to share it. Who being the brightness, this is the light, of His glory, His outshining, and the express image, His icon, you know, like an icon on your computer, when you click on it, what happens? You get the whole program. See, Jesus chose when he came down and took flesh uh, to uh, not use parts of his deity, but he was 100% God. But he chose not to use certain parts of it. 
free will choice that he was going to live as a man. But he was still fully God. That's even harder. When you have power under control like that, when you know that you could actually step in and take care of something, but you know that it's better that they go through it to learn the lesson from it, man, that takes a lot of willpower. It's the same way in training your children, fathers. You want them to go through it. You're not trying to beat them out of it. You want them to go through it. You want to counsel them how to deal with it so when they're older, they will be able to get out of it themselves with logic that comes from the Word of God because they have a relationship with God. But when all it is is boundaries, rules, no relationship, then we feel guilt and shame and pain and we destroy. When nobody's looking, we have no integrity. And it becomes fake. who be in the brightness of his glory and the express image, the icon, the engraving of his person and upholding all things by the what? Word. Are you guys reading with me in 1, 3 of Hebrews? He's upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. He inherited it? Yeah, because if you go on reading, you'll find that he became a little lower than the angels. God himself came down in a virgin birth, became a child, lived 30 years in Mary, or excuse me, lived nine months in Mary's womb, carried about fragilely, then lived 30 years underneath supervision, listening to the authority, following his mom and dad. He became an itinerant preacher for about three and a half years. All of this he chose to do for you and I. Then he dies on the cross, but he became 100% man so that he would have a body prepared as a sacrifice to die for us. And the Word of God testified of it all happening. The Word of God testified of this light coming even to the Gentiles. You and I, those that are not Jewish, the Word of God tells us everything that's going to happen if we have ears to hear what the Spirit will say to the church. And then, when he rose again, he inherited the name above all names, and all authority was given to him. And then he shares it with you and I, and he gives us not just justification in his righteousness, but we become joint heirs with Christ. And then he goes and sets back down. Now he's the head of all principality and powers, where one day every knee will bow. But he chose himself to lay his life down, to come down and become lower than even the angels. And to trust that God would protect him, the Father would protect him, the Spirit would protect him, that they were going to raise him from the grave after he laid his life down as a sacrifice. That's faith there. Full of the Spirit without measure. That's the faith is that we choose that on the other side we know that God's going to get us through it because he loves us. And he does. Listen to me, guys. If he would give us his only begotten son, how will he not give us everything else for life and godliness? Stop fighting with God. Be content with what's going on. Do the right thing. Do the natural thing and let him do the supernatural. It's an amazing thought. Just to surrender to the work of God in your life and to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. Lay your life down. 
everything was made through the Word, through Jesus, the living Word, through the Logos, which means something said including the thought. It's the divine expression of Christ. By or through, 88 times used in um, the New Testament. Well, 241 times for by. It denotes the channel of the act. The channel of the act, of the action, through the word of God, through the spoken word of God. All things were made, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Can we trust a God that would speak life? Look, verse 4, John 1, 4. We'll just move on. I'd like to spend a little more time. In him was life, zoe. And the life was the light, phos, P-H-O-S, phos, of men. We're going to see in John 8, one of the I am's. Look at this. Oh, my goodness, light. Then Jesus spoke to them again, 8, 12, saying, I am, ego a me. I am. It's the great I am statements, just like when Moses in uh, Deuteronomy 8, 15. Is that right? No. Exodus 8.15. He says, Who shall I say sent me? I am that I am. Exodus 8.15, I think. I didn't look it up. But he says, I am that I am. And right here he says, I am. Ego ami. I am the light of the world. He who follows me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Shall not walk, that's how you're living, in darkness, but have the light of life. Again, darkness being evil. Again, the darkness here being obscurity, shadiness. In him was life, breath. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, some say this is a bad translation. I, and some have a note that it should say overcome it. Now, I, I agree with both. This is 1.5 of John. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Darkness cannot overcome light, you, but you go, you electricians in here, you know if you click on a light switch, darkness goes away. See, because evil is the absence of God. Darkness is the absence of light. Death is the absence of life. That's how you define it. That's simply. There's no in-between. Oh, yeah, there is. It's kind of like gray. Not with God. Not in the spiritual realm. Turn the light on. And get rid of the darkness. Positionally, totally light. Totally finished. Practically, still turning the light on. Still purifying. Still washing out. Still cleaning up. But positionally, completely light. Positionally, completely saved. Practically, we're working, running, learning, living, 
That's why we have to follow. If we were finished, we would be at home. That's why we're following. The light shines in the darkness. To shine or make manifest. It's also fire. It's also fire. Let's look at Matthew 4.16. Just for a moment. Jesus and his beginning of his ministry. This is where his ministry began. After the temptations in the wilderness by the devil. In 4.16, quoting Isaiah 9.2, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. And then 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach, herald good news, and to say, what did he say? The first word of the gospel, repent, metanoia, turn, change your mind, go the other direction. Why? The kingdom of God is at hand. Now let's go to Isaiah and look at it where it was actually quoted from. And you know that Isaiah chapter 9, it, it, it tells us about that light, who he was, that he was given. 9.2 again says, the people who walked in darkness, that's how they were living. That's where they were at. They had a sin nature. They were ignoring the light. They were making up their own rules, doing their own thing. And then they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me, David said. That's the only reason you don't have to fear evil, because God is with you. The light is with you. Somebody has to be casting the shadow. There has to be a light or there is no shadow. It would just be pure darkness. Upon them a light has shined. And then, of course, 9-6, we know, For unto us a child is born. The child was born. Unto us a son was given. God gave him to us a body you have prepared as a sacrifice. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called, his character, his nature, his will, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Who's going to do that? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You don't have to do it. Just believe it. Receive it. The light has shined into darkness. And the darkness could not extinguish it. They couldn't overcome it. Or in fact, it means to take eagerly or to seize it, to lay hold of it. They couldn't lay hold of it. They couldn't comprehend it without the Spirit of God coming and waking them up. You can read about this also in Luke chapter 1. I probably should read it, but that's more about John the Baptist. Maybe we'll read it next week. Because John's father, Zacharias, God remembers his grace. God remembers John. God remembers. And then Zacharias gives this entire, he says, filled with the spirit. And he gives this entire dissertation. And it actually ends with, I think I marked it. Let me look. Did I? It actually ends with, 
And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. To do what? To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to those governed by God, to Israel. Listen, light, life, love, the bosom of God has come down and died for us, came down and revealed to us, came down and brought to us the word of God, the living incarnate word of God. So that you could comprehend it. So that you could Cato Labano. Boy, I don't even know if I said that right. That's what the word is. It means to receive and accept and get a hold of. But it said the light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not Cato Labano it. They didn't receive it. They didn't get a hold of it. They didn't accept it. You're going to see that. Because then John is the one, that we, we, we got to get to it next week. Then John is the one that witnesses. And then he says, he came to his own, the Jewish nation, and they did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. All about the name, character, nature, will. What was he designed for? So that's the whole point here. They didn't get a hold of it. They didn't grasp it. They didn't receive him. So he went to the Gentiles. But it's a spiritually discerned understanding. A light that shines in our darkness. No light, you stay dark. Dead. Death, black. It's hard to walk in the dark. You ever try to walk in the dark? You know, you do that eye thing where you close your eyes real fast and you keep them closed for so that they, they start to focus into the dark. You still hit your big toe on the bed rail and you're like, this is crazy. You know, it's hard to walk in dark, but you shine just a little bit of light. You just get a little night light, just a night light. Now you can see everything, the shadows, the obscurity. You can see where you're walking at now. But when you put a big light in there and you shine and get rid of all those shadows and all that darkness and you live right out in the open where everybody knows what's going on because you're following Jesus, people get mad at that too. They'd rather you live in darkness. That's why bars are dark. Think about all those things, the shadiness, the obscurity, the darkness. They don't light up bars. You ever go in a bar and it's just like bright as can be? No, they're doing the evil in there. They, they, want to, they don't want people to know they're in there. They, it's obscure. But when you're living for Jesus, you can just walk right out and it doesn't matter. You can even be naive at some point. You can be in it. You can do a lot of things. But you're like, hey, I'm just here for, you know, he saved me. He's got to protect me. I'm just going to talk about the word of God. Are you getting a hold of this? Are you receiving this? Are you receiving it? Are you accepting that God loves you so much? He spoke and created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and sent his son, Jesus. Are you receiving this? Are you understanding that the life, that your light is here? And now we've become that light. He gives in, um, they're going to be in, in Tuesday night pretty soon, in the Sermon on the Mountain in chapter 5. 
We're the little lights. We're reflecting His light. We're dead planets like the moon reflecting the light on the other side of the universe. So we're not going to be as bright as Christ. But man, when you speak truth into darkness, it wakes people up. It gives their conscience. They go, bam, and a light comes on and they go, maybe I should be living for Jesus. Maybe this is true. But when you talk to them about football, all they want to talk about is self and about football. There's nothing striking their conscience. There's nothing convicting them of their darkness. They're okay with football. They're okay with everything that's got rebellion and darkness and death with it. But when you speak to them about light and life and love, now they got to make a decision. That's why we're called to be lights shining in the darkness. To be John the Baptist, as we're going to see. By the grace of God, he sends Johns to be witnesses in the wilderness. Because some people, I was in the wilderness when people came and shared with me. Well, this word, this one who created, and I'm just going to touch on it a minute, 114, and we'll close. The word, the logos of God, the spoken word of God became flesh. He wasn't flesh. This is the same word again, made to be generated. Same word again. In his creation, God created a Savior that became flesh. He created a plan where he would come down and become sarks. He would become a man, 100% man, God like us. Emmanuel, God with us. And he dwelt. It means to tent or to encamp. He pitched his tent is literally what it says in the Greek format of it. Uh, the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. What's a tent? It's a tabernacle. It's a temporary dwelling place, just like you see in the Old Testament. What did he do? In the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle of meeting in the wilderness, and God's presence was always represented there, but it was under law. And it was so far away, and there was a priest, and, there had, and you had to kill animals. And then he said, I'm going to come down. And I'm going to pitch my tent. And I'm going to live in this temporary body. And you have a temporary body. That's why it hurts. That's why it's giving up. That's why it's groaning for redemption. These are not permanent tabernacles. And neither was the one in the wilderness. It was built as a shadow of what was in heavenly places, Hebrews tells us. So he come down and pitched his tent among us. I have to say that because there's a crazy game among us god came to live among us to be all together like us and go through everything that we go through so he could be acquainted with our grief and he would be able to secure us or aid us and help us and bring us through every single thing that would ever happen secure we never use that word it's aid he would be an ever-present help in time of need He pitched his tent. Isn't that amazing to you guys that he would become flesh? Spirit. He's spirit. He can speak things into existence. He's perfect 
and he would want to become like us in order to aid us, to help us, to bring us, to be the, 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 the author and the finisher of our faith, the one that would lead us out of this house that's on fire, to lead us out of the pits of hell, to lead us out of darkness by his light. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Listen to me. A light to my feet and a lamp to my path. It shines and shows you where you're standing at. The word of God does. Because it's a discerner, the thoughts and intentions are, you go, oh man, my feet are in the wrong place. Let me step over here. And now I'm over here and I'm living for God. And now it shines out in front of me and it gives me something to follow. The light that I'm following is Christ. The one who come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. And what did they do? They beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten. It's unique. It's, the word means one. Only begotten, single of its kind, soul, only one. There's only one, only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I was looking it up at Psalms 118, or yeah, 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I couldn't remember it. And then there's 9, 10, and 11. 119, 9, 10, and 11. If you guys, how can a young man cleanse his way? How do you purify? How do you get light to shine in your darkness? By taking heed, applying the word of God, observing it. According to the word, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments, from your word. Same word. It's actually the word uh, debar in the Old Testament instead of legos. Oh, let me not wander from your word. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your word. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth, all the judgments of your word, your face. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Word. Listen, this is our bread. He's going to be, I am the bread of life. It's still word. He's our sustenance. So he come and dwelt among us, pitched his tent. He's only going to be here for a little while. You're only going to be here for a little while. You're not promised tomorrow. 70, 80 years, poetically, the psalm says. Few days and are evil, but we can come to Jesus. We can come to the word of God. And they, John says, the one whom Jesus loved, we, the disciples, all of them, they walk with him. Remember he said that in John 1, 1, or 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, they heard him, he spoke, that which we have seen, they looked at him with their eyes, we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. We beheld his glory. 
doxa. We get the word doxology, where you do something afterwards. It's his gloriousness. It's his dignity. It's his light. It's his brightness. They beheld it, his glory. And you know what? Listen to me. I just got to make this disclaimer. He wasn't glowing. Glory was his countenance. He wasn't glowing. He didn't have a halo. But when you looked at him, there was a countenance. When you listened to him, there was a countenance. When he spoke, you were beholding his glory. Because there was nothing about him that was his comeliness that, was, that they would desire him except when he spoke. It's the word of God. It was not his comeliness. It was not because he was taller than somebody else. I was laughing. I was mowing the guard or mowing the yard yesterday, and he's talking about how King Saul was picked by people. He was handsome and tall. There's your qualifications for a king. Handsome and tall. Taller than everybody, and he was handsome. How'd that turn out? Who did God choose? A man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. What are you after in life? Jesus, full of grace and truth, the only begotten of the Father. Of course, we covered that already. He is the grace of God that has appeared. He is the aletheia. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You need to look nowhere else but to Him. He's the light of the world. He's the, he's the, he's the heart of God. The Spirit, God's a Spirit, and He sent His heart down so that they could look upon Him. The impossible. No one has ever seen God and lived. The invisible God. And then God makes it possible. Somebody said the other day, and I, I get fed in different places, but I heard the word impossible. Nothing is impossible with God, but the word impossible is I'm possible with God. I'm possible. My life hidden in Christ, I'm possible. Do you believe that? Do you believe the word of God? Listen, the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word come to earth and took flesh, became altogether like us so we could become altogether like him. How is that going? Have we lost track of what salvation is? Have we lost the, the, the anchor of our soul? Are we crying out? Are we in the word, prayer, and fellowship? Are we looking to do the work of the ministry? Or are we just hanging out with the American dream and dying? Being led away, planeo, caused to roam from safety. Listen to me. There has to be a, a, an entire surrender to the work of God, but also that you follow the plan of God, the rule book of God. And say, I love you, so I want to keep your commandments because I know that in them I keep my way safe. I keep my soul safe. But it's not I. It's your work. It's your spirit. It's what you're doing if I will just abide in the vine. If I will just come and lay my heart out before you. He'll do the work. He's promised, I will complete the work in you until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, learn the word of God. Believe the word of God. When the liar lies to you, take out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and cross blades with him and say, I don't believe that lie. That's from the pit of hell. 
I have a hope in the future with God because I know the Word of God, the truth of God, and I have faith in God that He's going to complete it. I can't complete it. You can't complete it. But we can encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Fool of grace and truth. That's a calculator word. Covered over, complete, filled up. Abounding in. And we'll cover that more in our next lesson by God's grace. Father, thank you for your word that you sent to heal the land. We were in our darkness. We were in our obscurity. We were living in sin and death. You caused so many battles for us to cry out to you, and we didn't. And you sent your word to heal us. Lord, help us to receive that balm of Gilead. Help us to to sup with your son and to receive the word of God that is uh, capable of completing the soul. I'm reminded that your word says, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word will make it glad. Lord, why do we struggle with you? Why do we run from you? Why do we chase the world and its system? And we can just surrender to you, the great physician. Father, we pray that fathers would look to you as an example. That fathers would not be afraid to to lead in their homes with love by laying down their life completely. By putting your word first. By washing their, their wives in the word of God. We pray for fathers to return to their children and take care of their children and stop fighting their their battles with their own flesh. Restore the rule of marriage. Once again, make it something that pulpits would preach about against divorce, that men would be self-sacrificing and lay down their lives and love their brides as Christ loved the church. Set us free from the bondage of these lies of this world, Lord. Set us free from the shape of the world, Lord, that we call church. The pattern of the world, the walk of the world, the words of the world. And help us to receive with meekness your implanted word for the continued saving of the soul. Grow your life up in us, Lord, and send us out to a dead and dying world and help us to be good witnesses. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Desire.